The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, welcome to the Provoke Podcast. This is a series called Creating a Movement, and this is a new series on health and wellness that we're doing in partnership with the Bullet Group. I'm Arthi Shaw, Executive Editor for Provoke, and I'm the host for this series. Um, I'm so thrilled that our first episode features the brilliant and multi-talented Gail Becker, who is the founder and CEO of Kali Power. Um, so Kali Power, for those of you that don't already know, is one of the fastest growing innovative food companies around. Um, I think when, well, I'll, let, I'll let Gail talk a little bit about sort of what, what their trajectory has been. Um, and as many of you also may know, um, before um, launching this venture, which I think was three years ago, um, Gail had sort of an incredibly esteemed career in public relations, um, most notably, um, or most recently, um, as an executive at Edelman. Um, we also have Kyle Artiga, um, who is sort of the co-host for this series. Um, he is founder and CEO of The Bullet Group, and he will also share his perspective and might actually ask Gail some questions as well. Welcome, Gail and Kyle. Thanks Thank you so us. much for having us. And, and Gail, I wasn't sure. I, I know you, you had a promo for the folks that were listening. I don't know if you want to see that now early on in the, in the conversation. Oh, sure. Well, I, you know, boy, we're all stressed these days and we all could, could use a little, uh, a little assistance. So just for all my friends who from the PR industry who may be watching or listening, um, I'd like to give everybody a free product, just direct message at Collie Power and use provoke um, as the code word and we'll send you a coupon good for any free product. There, there we go. I think this is the I think this is the Thank first time go. we've had a product giveaway <laughs> on Provoke. So, I don't so. think I have to do anything else, do I? Isn't that kind of it? There is. I, I think that's it. I think that's it. I mean, you know, again, we haven't done this before, but I think that's it. Um, so so Gail, I would love to start this conversation by by sharing sort of the the pen or if you could share sort of your pandemic experience at Kali Power. You know, you, I know you launched and you continue to launch products over the last 12 months. So I'm curious sort of what the last year was like for you as a business. And, and I, I, I saw you on, you and I were on stage together in February, 2020 in Chicago. And, you know, this yeah. pandemic was just this thing that was kind of, you know, in the back of our minds, but hadn't really enveloped the U.S. yet. Um, so I'm just curious. So from that moment that I saw you until, you know, when did you all realize this was a big deal? How did it impact your, your operations, your employees, what your business, you know, launches were for the year. If you, you want to give us sort of a, a summary around what your last sure, been like. Sure. Boy, what a year that was, um, it's been, right? Um, so uh, for Collie Power, it was really, uh, it, it's been a, it's, it, it's been quite a year uh, from a business perspective. And I say that because when the pandemic hit, not only like all other businesses, did we have to take our business, our whole company online, which we did, um, but it was also our busiest time because uh, people were just, you know, um, hitting the grocery stores and buying anything and everything they could find. And often they were finding nothing because the supply chain was having such a challenging time in getting product there. And not only that, but from a manufacturer's perspective, it, there was a, there has never been a more challenging time just to get product there. So global pandemic, company online, busiest time ever. Oh, and a hundred different challenges just from getting product from point A to point B. So um, 
It really was, particularly those early days, some extraordinary times. I'm so grateful to uh, my team who, you know, were, were just worked around the clock just to make sure that, that, that our product made it to the shelf and, and uh, you know, people had pizzas to eat. Kyle, did you want to ask? I know yeah, you, actually, you one, of the, one of the things this. I noticed about uh, about your marketing, Gail, is that it seems like you you shifted really quickly as well at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, can yeah, you tell we us did. A bit about your marketing strategy? Sure, sure. You know, look, it, it 2020 was a really hard year to be a brand because you know there was so much happening in the world from you know social unrest to a global pandemic there was a lot of despair uh there was a lot of tragedy we were watching it unfold on the news every single day and yet people also needed to find you know a time to you know you know um release all of that tension and you know have a smile and feel good about something so it was a really fine balance. And, you know, before the pandemic, that's why a lot of people came to Kali Power and followed us on social, because that's the kind of content that they like to see. So it was a really challenging time. And I'm, I'm really proud of the team because I think we found the right balance. And so, you know, for us, it was really hard because we used to put, I don't know, about 300,000 pieces of pizza in people's mouths every year through our truck, through a pop-up, and that came to a halt. So for us, it was, how can we still get people to try our products and make them laugh, make them smile in a way that was really, you know, socially sensitive to what was happening to the world around us. So we started this uh, program called Collie Power and Chill. And um, it was basically, you know, we would get these influencers and celebrities to make pizzas and share recipes. And we were very fortunate because um, we managed to, to get uh, Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek, who the show was just ending. And literally the day he made a cauliflower pizza, I think my, the internet broke down for us. And uh, everybody loved it. And it was fantastic. And you know, it was nice to just find those moments of joy in an otherwise really challenging uh, time. So question about, about the, the Dan Levy partnership. Was that something that, was that planned from the start or was that something that was organic, that did, did sort of our organic roots and then it turned into a, a partnership? Well, I mean, look, I mean, basically when the pandemic hit, we took our very, you know, thorough and thoughtful and strategic marketing plan and threw it out the window because we couldn't do that anything that we had planned anymore. So, you know, the marketing team and I sat down as a group and thought, what can we do for our consumers? How can we make their lives a little easier? We gave out lots and lots and lots of free pizzas to people. Um, and we also contributed a lot to charity because we wanted, you know, we wanted the, you know, the core of who we were to come through to our consumers at that at that really um, delicate time. Right. So, you know, I mean, this is one of those moments where I think having someone at the helm of a company that has, you know, that as a background in PR and marketing was really valuable because you probably saw this, you know, as early as the marketing team saw it, that there was a need to pivot and quickly. Um, you know, if you, you know, because you said, I mean, you sat down yourself with the marketing team to kind of talk about what that would look like. Yeah, and I think, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. 
no, I was just going to say, and really, you know, you know, knowing what, 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 what plans you were going to do as a marketing team, but also, and I think, you know, this, this certainly helped, um, was just, you know, knowing what tone you wanted to take, right. What was going to be the, 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 the voice that you were going to portray. And quite frankly, what was the role of a brand during this time? One of the things we're noticing is how much the risk equation has shifted, right? Um, you know, it used to be brands would say, you know, we can't, we can't wait into this issue. It's too risky. And what we saw over the last 12 months was brands are really asking themselves, can we afford to sit this one out? Because mm-hmm. um, is it too risky not to say something? Are we complicit if we don't say something? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's really interesting. And that's a shift that we've seen over the last, you know, three to five years, but was really accelerated in the last 12 months. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the logistics and Kyle, please jump in if there's something I'm missing here. But, you know, Kyle and I were talking about how this was the first time many in the U.S. had ever experienced food insecurity was last March and April when grocery store shelves were empty for the first time. People would go online and they couldn't they they couldn't get a delivery to their homes for people that were relying on on Mm -hmm. that method. Um, and again, like I said, I don't, food insecurity is not new in this country, but it was, it was new to, to, to new classes of people in you know, last year. And, and, and what was it like to be a provider of frozen foods at a time where people were looking for things that were shelf stable that they could throw in their freezer and know that they could have a meal three months from now because they didn't know what the world would look like. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, just to, just to separate food insecurity from, people, you know, understanding how the food supply chain works. And, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, one of the silver linings, quite frankly, for that, I think is that came out of 2020 is that people really now understand the value of food, where it comes from, how hard it is to get, how, how, how precious it can be. And, um, and that, I don't think, has ever really happened before in recent memory for most people to your point. And, you know, there wasn't a food supply problem in the early days of the pandemic. There was just a a supply chain problem because everybody, all the trucks were delivering toilet paper. Right. And there were no trucks left for, to try and get all of these other things. So, so I, I, I love how, how the how the you know the concept of food just was elevated during during 2020. What I think is um, you know, and one way that I like to explain it to people is if you think about it, a grocery store usually takes about six months to prepare for Thanksgiving. In the case of the pandemic, they had about six minutes. And that's why you saw all of those empty shelves. Um, in terms of food insecurity, that has been just a tragic, tragic outcome. Although I am happy that finally, look, it's always been an issue in this country. I'm happy that now finally more people are talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we did at Collie Power is, you know, for every product that you buy, we always give a percentage of sales to help build teaching gardens and underserved schools across the country. And what we realized during COVID was that the kids weren't in school. So not only were they not getting these hot lunches that the families were counting on, but they weren't able to, you know, reap the rewards of these gardens that they usually were. So we pivoted and in conjunction with the American Heart Association, we were able to um, hand out 100,000 uh, meals to, for, to um, 
to families in four different cities across the U.S. We bought fresh produce from local farmers and uh, handed it out in four cities. And it was really kind of a remarkable time. Right. Congrats. That's a, that's a solid initiative. It was, it was very special. It, very special. And I am, you know, and it, it is important that you distinguish between actual food insecurity, right? That people that, that are genuinely facing this problem. And then those folks that are much more privileged, but suddenly had this, this anxiety right. around what, what if, what if I don't get groceries and then, you know, how right. I, you know, right. And, you know, but who financially they could afford to pay for the groceries. It was more of, exactly. a, of a logistics issue of like, are they going to be delivered? And yes, I right. think, but, but what was, you know, it was interesting is that it's a group that had never even probably, like you said before this even had felt. Exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, yeah, one of the questions that I had for you, Gail, is I know that yeah. you, you spent a, an illustrious career in PR, as, as Arthi mentioned. You know, PR is one of the most stressful jobs available. <laughs> I don't know if any of us knew that going in, but we're finding it out very quickly. Try running uh, a frozen food company, but okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, that, that as well. Um, That's too, yes. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that as an agency owner, we've been spending a lot of time trying to, to work with our employees on and, and with our clients as well, is that self-care is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. You know, it, we have to take care of ourselves. You know, yes, you need to get your work done, but that's that comes secondary. Um, and so how has that shifted now that you now that you run a, a food company? How has your thinking around self-care changed from when you were in PR? It's such an interesting question. And, you know, obviously, you know, we've been working with agencies over the years. And I think the additional stress that the agencies have, to your point, and it's a, it's, it's a fair one, is not only did they have, not only do people, did people at, at PR agencies and what have you have the sort of weight of the pandemic for, in their own personal lives, but they also had the weight of the challenges it presented for the businesses that they worked for also put upon them, right? How do, you know, businesses like, like me or, or anyone had challenges associated with the pandemic and often turned to their, you know, PR firms to try and get counsel. So here are these, you know, people who worked at agencies were hit, were sort of dealing with it from both ends. And, you know, for me and for the people that I've seen, and I, I really rely a lot on, on, on the community that we've built because I, I watch it and participate in it, you know, very closely. And I see, and I, look, I think at the beginning of COVID and quite frankly, for much of 2020, um, there was some self-care, but there was also a lot of, I'm going to be home and you know, not seeing anyone and wearing my sweatpants. So I don't really care what I eat. I don't care how I exercise, if, if I exercise or not. I, we did, I did see a lot of that. And you could definitely see the trends in the industry, people buying lots of mac and cheese or, you know, the, 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 the most comforting of foods. Um, and then I think as the year went on and certainly now into 2021, people are realizing the impact of that. And people now, you know, in the PR age, in industry, but in all industries, really sort of have that concept of time and, you know, having time to think, having time to exercise, having time to not travel all the time. And when you, when you have that, and this is for me personally, you realize the toll 
that not taking that took on your body. I used to travel all the time when I worked in the PR industry. I times that by about 10 when I started Collie Power. And to go from at least three different cities a week to nothing, I realized what I had been doing to my body and my, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, however you want to um, talk about it. So, you know, for, for me, and now I've seen that a lot of people are really starting to take better care of themselves, watching what they eat, taking the time to exercise. I even just read a blog that said, um, you know, now that we're all going back to work, what happened to the afternoon nap? So, um, you know, I, I, I think that sort of, you know, um, exemplifies itself in, in different ways for, for, for right. different people. But, but I think people finally feel like they have the permission to take care of themselves, which I'm not, which I'm not sure that they felt like they did before. This is, it's, this is so interesting because I'm having these conversations with agency leaders right now as part of our agency of the year meetings as Gail, you, you and Kyle, both of you know, um, <laughs> and, and, and reimagining what, you know, we're, we're rewriting the rules right now, right? In terms of yeah. what the future of the workplace will look like. And, and part of it is people have control of their lives in, in a, at a time when the, you know, there was a, there was this, uh, this election cycle that was chaotic and polarizing. We had the global pandemic. We had the Black Lives Movement happening. There were so many things that people felt like they couldn't control that they looked to control these areas of their life. And Kyle, you and I spoke about this, right? It, they were looking to control food. They were looking to control, you know, what they eat, how they slept, whether they worked out and, and their own mental state of, you know, state of being, right? Um, and, and I, and I wonder sort of what you all, but I'd love to hear both from Kyle and Gail from, you know, you all are coming at this from different perspectives as to what you think the future will look like. I mean, from the conversations I'm having within the industry, it seems like people don't want to let go of this control. They don't want to jump on airplanes, you know, four or five times a month. Um, they don't want to be in an office five days a week, nine, you know, whatever, eight 30 to 6 PM, and then try to cram their wellness into two hours in the evenings. I talked to a lot of parents who suddenly had this realization that they were allocating this tiny sliver of their day to their children. And now their children are integrated into their day in a way that hadn't been true before this, and they don't want to give that up. So I, I'm really curious to kind of what you all expect the future of work to look like uh, as we emerge from this. Kyle, you want to go first? You want sure. me to? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, what we're noticing so just just stepping back a little bit, before the pandemic, about 50% of our employees were already remote working. We had a couple offices, um, but the rest of our employees were already remote working. It was surprisingly harder to just having everyone move over than I think we thought. Even though we already had all the processes in place, we already had the, what do you get when you get work from home? All of that was sorted out, and it was still difficult because... Mm -hmm. You know, you get in a routine where as humans, we're, we're, we want a protocol, we want to, we want to follow a path. And when you vary from that path, you know, people get very unhappy because they just, you don't like the unknown. So that took a little, a little while to get going. What I think is going to happen is, you know, offices are, they're a tool, just like Microsoft Office is a tool, just like Google is a tool, just like Slack is a tool. Some people want it. Some people don't. How you use it is up to you, and whether you make it a corporate mandate is a totally different story, but I think less and less companies will. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing is a lot of move towards asynchronous work, mm -hmm. a lot of people choosing when they want to work and how they're going to work and reducing the number of meetings they do. You know, there's Zoom overload is absolutely real. It's really mm -hmm. stressful to look at yourself all day long. 
on a tiny little screen. It, mm -hmm. it just does something to your head. So we tell everyone, you know, go on, go on hide self view. <laughs> you know, find <laughs> the small little tricks. But I, you know, I think, I think any company that says everyone's going back to the office and going back to exactly the way it was, if you're not working on a manufacturing floor, I think it, they're they're definitely off. That that's not the way it's going to work. People are going to demand something different, and if you don't give it to them. They'll go off on their own, just like Gail did, or just like I did, in their, right. their, own, yeah. their own situation, yeah. as they should. Right, and and Gail, and you're in a, you're now in a different in a different sector, right? I mean, so Kyle, yeah. you're very much in the information sector, where you, all you need is a laptop, really, and a phone to do your job. And Gail, you know, now you're overseeing. You know, there's many more moving parts to to mm -hmm. what you do. So, how do you imagine things will be different? Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of the same themes. You know, I think for the most part, you know. The, the 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 fact that we were able to transition so smoothly obviously not our manufacturing to your point like you actually have to physically be there but um my you know for the for the, for the rest of the business to to certainly you know have that flexibility is great you know i think it depends though sort of what areas you're in i think our finance folks um you know if they worked at home if they wanted to work at home for you know, X amount of time for the week, that's, you know, that, that works out just fine for them. For teams like marketing, it's a little harder to be honest with you um, because you do lose some of that collaboration and we're on the phone all the time with, uh, you know, with all of the teams, but um, you, there is something that's lost. So I do think it's a, it's a hybrid, you know, our sales people, they're on the road all the time. They can't wait to get on the road. You know, again, we just, someone on the team just had their very first in-person sales meeting and, you know, everybody was like cheering them on. They were almost jealous. So I think some people can't wait to get back to, you know, some level of normalcy the way it was. And then other people are sort of redefining what it's going to look like to them. Right. You know, I want to take a minute to, to talk a little bit about kind of what Gail, you had mentioned earlier about sort of the, the multiple ways in which the PR industry was hit by this pandemic. Um, obviously, we're an industry that's um, over 70% women. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of women are that were mothers. And I think, you know, although I would hope to think that the, the workload was shared across both partners, um, but it did, most of the data has shown that women sort of carried the, the, the homeschooling mm -hmm. and, and the parenting load during the pandemic. So you had the personal impact. Then you also had the client impact, like you said, and then you also had the business impact that the, for the agencies, for the ones that were on right. agency side, right? I mean, right. we saw furloughs last year, we saw layoffs, we saw pay cuts, right? So there was, there were, and then, and then there was another piece, a fourth piece I'll say is, and I've had PR folks tell me, um, and what was a really brutal news cycle, which was one thing after another last year, mm -hmm. um, they could not unplug. They couldn't just say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to unplug and detox. You know, they could maybe for a day or two if they were, if they right. had to go. But part of what our business does is pay attention to the news, right? So, um, so you know, on all of those multiple levels. And so I, I'm curious if you all, you know, given that, you know, Kyle, you, you'd know this because you just do this day in and day out. And Gail, you know, you, you've been in this world. What advice would you give to, to the industry around wellness, around, around self-care, um, given these, you know, I mean, it's almost superhuman what we're expecting of, of our industry in this moment. You know, I think um, it, it, it's funny. During the pandemic, I I, I did this. Um, I, I tried to engage the team the best that I could. And I, I would share these notes about individuals just so we could 
you know, because we would bring on new team members during this time. And one of the things I did was I would ask four questions of everyone just so people could learn a little bit about them. And one of the questions I asked um, was, you know, what's something that you discovered during COVID? And, you know, what's something that you won't go back to mm -hmm. from your old life? And, you know, there were some pretty consistent themes. And, you know, one theme, for instance, was, you know, there were so many people who used to go to the gym, right? This is my time to exercise. I'm going to allow myself 45 minutes. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get on the treadmill and then I'm going to go back. And now as a result, people are still exercising and trying to take care of themselves, particularly now, but they're doing so in a much more sort of, you know, um, as part of a larger sort of daily approach. So they go for a hike. And while they're on the hike, instead of all the loud noises in the gym, they're actually giving themselves time to think. Or they're listening to music. Or they're doing something that's sort of going to refuel their spirit as well as giving them that sort of extra, uh, you know, extra, um, you know, t uh, time to exercise or take care of themselves. I think also, you know, people, you know, spending more time with their kids and show, exposing their kids to their business. I mean, I know lots of people who like, you know, the kids are right over here, they're hearing everything you're doing. So, you know, now you have this generation of children who, you know, obviously being out of school for a year was, was tragic, but that have been, have been shown a, a, a sort of a, a purview into their parents' lives, into the workforce, and really are sort of, you know, and, and the parents embraced it and, and, and engaged. I mean, I've been on calls where, you know, um, you know, kids were right there and chiming in and it's, it's wonderful. I actually think it, it was, it was one of the benefits of um, getting to um, spend that much more time with their family. Not always, I understand, but um but certainly, I, I, I think that that helped keep a lot of people going. Mm -hmm. You know, I was curious, Gail, obviously, you've, you've got access to a lot of research that the rest of us doesn't, don't have. But uh, tell me about the impacts of healthy eating. And what have you seen, like, maybe some anecdotes from some of your, your, uh, your cauliflower eaters of what they've yeah. been able to do with their life as a result of eating more healthy? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the, so, so just to touch on a theme I, I briefly touched on, 2020 was a tough year for healthy eating for a couple of reasons. One, uh, people found comfort in food, right? So they found comfort in the, you know, the traditional cheesy, gooey comfort foods, right? And there was a lot of baking, lots of baking. Uh, so, so that was certainly one thing. And also because there were so many people out of work, a lot of people were really price sensitive and, you know, cheaper food tends to be, um, you know, historically can be a little bit, um, uh, less nutritionally, you know, valuable. And so you had this like perfect storm, right. And people were at home and they're working at home. And so they're just snacking all day. So you had this like perfect storm. And then I think what I saw is that, you know, people were really sort of noted it and then worked hard to get their way out of it. One of the things from a cauliflower perspective that I thought was interesting was one, one of the things that, that, that we saw through some research is that people by, you know, six months, seven months in got really tired of their own cooking. So we did this whole like sick of my own cooking box that really just sort of made, we, we had a cookbook and we had all these 
products and free coupons. And it was just, here's how you can cook if you're totally sick of your own cooking. And, and it really resonated with people. And, um, and, you know, when I, when I think about the, the, before the pandemic, you know, we have a plain crust and the plain crust was never our top seller, but it was always pretty good. That just shot up during the mm. pandemic because people wanted easy, easy things, right? Uh, and, you know, putting stuff on a, on a plain crust is not so hard. And they were doing it with their families and they were dumping out the back of the fridge and all the leftovers. You know, another way that people really placed a high value on food is you didn't throw food out. You put it in the freezer, you put it in the back of your refrigerator, you dumped it on a pizza. And by the way, you couldn't even buy freezers during the pandemic because there was a total run on freezers because people were running out of freezer space. So you could, even if you wanted a freezer, you, there was like a six month waiting list. You know, I'm sure it's better now. Oh, sorry. Yes. Well, well, I mean, on that note, I'm curious because you had mentioned people did look for comfort foods um, during the pandemic. And did you have a challenge of people saying, I don't want, I don't want cauliflower pizza crust. I want the good old pizza crust that I grew up with and that I know. And, and how did you, how did you overcome that? You know, even with the pasta, right? Like you launched, I think yesterday, right? I mean, are we still in this moment where people are like, nope, I want that white, you know, pasta that I know and love um, because, because that's a source of comfort in this moment. I think you you definitely saw those trends early on in 2020 for sure, and I would say probably even as most recently as six, seven, eight months in. But then we started to see the trends turn around, and certainly even more so in 2021. Um, you know, and you know, innovation can't stop. So I always tell people it takes about a year to get from here to here right? You think of something a year, if you're lucky. And so innovation. So while everybody else is sort of, you know, hunkering down, if you're a food company and a lot of food companies stopped innovating in 2020, because it's so hard because you couldn't go into the manufacturing facilities and what have you. So, um, but for us, innovation couldn't stop, which is why to your point, we did launch the pasta yesterday. So we're seeing, uh, you know, people, they, they sort of, you know, they relied very heavily on comfort food and anything that brought them comfort, you know, alcohol sales shot through the roof as I'm, as I'm sure you've seen. Um, and then, but now I think what you're seeing is sort of a normalization and people are very conscious about what they're eating now. And, uh, foods that have immunity boosting properties are very popular right now, right? Any way that people can sort of improve their health and just, you know, how they feel. It's not all about looks anymore. It's not all about, oh, I want to lose five pounds because I'm going to look better. It's actually about your health, right? which is, are, are two entirely different things. Right. In fact, I, I've been talking to a lot of agencies that work with um, alcohol brands and they were saying uh -huh. that early in the pandemic, it was just like, oh my gosh, well, we have to drink to get through this. And then we saw the pendulum swing, right? And now there's a yes. backlash against sort of this binge drinking that seemed to be quite popular at the beginning of the pandemic. And so even alcohol companies are having to really change their messaging. I mean, not some of them already were talking this way, but really emphasizing the responsible drinking part, right? Mm -hmm. That you don't need to over-index every time you drink and that it can be part of a healthy lifestyle. But I think that's an interesting challenge because I've even noticed this just anecdotally on Twitter, right? The beginning, everybody had like, these are all my drinks. And now the number of people I see that are talking about their, the days that they haven't picked up a drink or, or what their life is like since they cut back. 
Um, I feel like that story, that narrative is trending a bit more, especially as, as people are, to your point, kind of less going into the comfort and more going into sort of the wellness piece of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing I'll say before I, another question is, um, you know, to your point about the, the creativity in the afternoon nap, some of the agencies I'm talking to are saying that they actually think their creativity has been higher. And actually, and we, we're seeing this in our Sabre Awards mm-hmm. as well. The creativity has mm-hmm. been off the charts in 2020. Um, because that. of the fact that people had, somebody was working out of a cabin in Wisconsin, somebody was working off the yeah. beach, somebody was in Kansas City. And suddenly the ideas, right, were just different than if everybody was yeah. in Brooklyn and commuting on the same train and love that billboards on their way to work. Um, and and I think that's really exciting for marketing and for communications. And that afternoon nap, I mean, you know, Google added nap pods for a reason because yeah. that actually spurs creativity and that's first better than, you know, your fourth, fifth cup of coffee. Don't <laughs> um, <laughs> agree more. Yeah, yeah no, I love that. That's fantastic. So, so a question, another question I have for both of you actually is, you know, and I think um, we kind of alluded to the, you know, we talked about control, right? Everybody has more control over their lives and they, and they love that. So on the back of this, do you think we'll see an entrepreneurship boom? And, you know, Gail, are, are people coming to you maybe from the PR industry or other industries saying, hey, you know, I want to do what you did. Um, give me some advice because suddenly people, you know, they, they, they want to control their destiny and maybe in a way they didn't think about before the pandemic. And Kyle, you know, I expect in, our, in the PR industry, we'll probably see a lot more people spinning out and doing their own things. Um, and also, what advice would you all give to people that are thinking about that, and especially people that are maybe more advanced in their careers, right? Um, Gail, you and I talked about this a bit on stage, but you know, um, there's a lot of benefits to being an entrepreneur later in life. It's such an interesting question, and you know, about four months ago or so, um, I I wrote a piece for I think it was Fast Company that said uh, why a global pandemic is a is a wonderful time to start a business, and um, and I. I did that because yes, I I did have a lot of people asking me and I think, you know, I think it will, I think it has spurred and will continue to spur a lot of entrepreneurialism. And I say that because look, what did we learn more than anything else about from the global pandemic? We learned about the fragility of life. We learned about how something that can be very, um, you know, important to you can be taken away tomorrow. And we also know that, and we also learn, you know, what are we waiting for? Because we don't know if that day is ever going to happen. I'm going to, I've been planning this trip for five years. Well, guess what? Anyone who was planning a trip for five years and was going to take it in 2020 couldn't. So I, I, I think what it did is it, it really reminded people of the fragility of life. And it made people realize that, you know, whatever it is you want to do, you shouldn't wait. Mm-hmm. And what it also did is it made us all realize, boy, the world has never had more problems to solve. Mm-hmm. And that is what spurs entrepreneurialism is solving problems. So here, and then you add on top of that, for the first time, you actually have more time. You're not traveling. You're not going off to meetings. So you take this, you know, ecosystem, which is ripe with more time, a realization that I better do something that I love in the time I have left, because I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, and a world full of problems to solve. 
you can't ask for a better ecosystem with which to start a company or with which to start or, or, or follow a passion or do something that you love or just activate your side hustle. And, um, and I think that is a, that is a wonderful outcome. And I, I encourage it to, to anyone who would ask me. Yeah, I completely agree with, with Gail on all of her points. And I, I would just go one step further and say, you know, one of the things that a lot of people are learning over the course of this year is that work shouldn't be the only thing that defines you. And so many of us mm -hmm. were caught up with, this is my, when someone asks, what do you do? Like that was the first question out of your mouth when you meet someone new. That changed last year. And that should change because we should be looking at our holistic life. So when someone asks me, hey, should I, should I go off on an entrepreneurial venture? The first question I ask is, what's important to you in your life? Right. Like, how are you defining yourself now? How, what's your vision for the future? And you know, that's why I, I, I'm really excited about this series and especially with food, because I think the first thing you need to do is just exert what control you can. And that's one of the first places you can do it. It's actually one of the easiest places to start is like, okay, let's, let's take control over what I eat. Let's see what impact mm -hmm. it's going to have. Let's see how, if that's going to spur me to exercise more or whether it's going to spur me to meditate or how that's going to change the way that my relationships at home are or my relationships at work are. And let's mm -hmm. put that job thing way far back. It's still incredibly important. We all need to have mm -hmm. it, but it's not the only thing. And so once you get control over that, then you can really start thinking about, you know, what an entrepreneurship might look like, because I, I think Gail can attest, it's not easy. Um, <laughs> Whatever the opposite of easy is, that's what it is. <laughs> but, but it's enthralling at the same time. Right. You know, it, it's, it's very similar to being a PR person. You know, one of the things I've always said about being in PR is why I love it is I don't exactly know what my day is. When someone asks what's a typical day, I can't mm -hmm. give it to you. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Even now multiply that by, by 10 for, as an entrepreneur. You know, there's just so many variables. So if you love to solve problems and, and you know, you do want to make work a, a core part of your life and, and you can see the impact on your life and it makes it better, then absolutely go forward. But it's totally okay to say that maybe that's not the most important thing. Maybe there is something else that is more, more driving and that's totally fine as well. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, do a lot of self-identification beforehand because it's, it's not an easy path. Um, but, but to your point earlier, the studies have shown that starting at 45, you have a higher level of success starting yes, an entrepreneurial is. venture at yeah. 45. So you that might think true. it's, 20, yeah, you might think mm -hmm. it's a 20 year old, but in reality, it's a 45 year old. You get a boost in your career between 45 and 55. I, I didn't know about before I read this. And this is a, a study from Wharton that came out about three years ago. Um, so don't let age get in the way of, of when you start. I started Bullet when I was 38. Right. You know, and I, I was actually talking to an agency CEO recently, and she was actually talking about um, women. And there was actually a piece in the Harvard Business Review about how women's career trajectories actually mirror what a really healthy career tra trajectory should look like. And so oftentimes women are so focused on, on having children in their thirties, right. And then having young children, you know, in their, in their early forties. And then suddenly when they don't have young children in the house anymore, suddenly, you know, the, it's like, well, you know, there's time and there's space right. to explore new, new, new avenues. And again, I don't, I mean, you know, parenting is not mothers only. It is. It's so I, I, I this, this particular study looked at mothers. Um, but I want to expand that out because I know we have much more involved fathers than we ever have. And, and so this goes for, for both genders, but I thought that was actually really interesting. So yeah. I, I, well, I'm, I'm really inspired by everything that both, both Kyle and, you know, Gail, of course, um, you all said today about, you know, 
about the future of, of the wellness, the future of eating, what food will look like, the role food will play in our lives, and even the future of work. Um, so, so thank you both for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. It was, it was fun and so nice to be reconnected. Yes, yes. And, and we will be- Thank you, Arthi. Oh, yes, Kyle. Yes, thank you for, for, for your idea, really. I mean, uh, Kyle came to us and he said, we need to look at wellness um, from so many different angles. And, and Gail, you were, of course, the, the first person that we thought of when, when, we, when we had this conversation. I, I love being the guinea pig. <laughs> and, well, Gail, do you want to plug, plug your, your free product yeah. again one more yeah, time? Yeah, absolutely. We all need something to make us smile, 100%. So all you have to do is direct message at Cauliflower on any of the social channels. Use Provoke, and we will send you a coupon for any free product. Wow. Well, well, there you go. Well, thank you again, and we will be back again soon with another episode of Creating a Movement. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Marketeers.